0: so we're still in in the uh, discussion of the 13th hadith the hadith of anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu none of you truly believes until he loves for his brother what he loves for himself. So who can mention some of the points that were mentioned last week concerning this hadith? The Messenger says, none of you truly believes until he loves for his brother what he loves for himself. Does that mean that the one who doesn't love for his brother, what he loves for himself, that is not a Muslim? He's not a Muslim, he's not a believer. No. Uh, Which one's Ammar? Ammar. Sorry, I forgot your name. There you are. It doesn't mean that you you are not a believer. Absolutely, it means that you your iman is weak. It is deficient because iman it has a state of perfection. That is that it is obligatory upon the Muslim to have. If he doesn't reach that level, then his iman is deficient. His iman is lacking. His iman is weak. What's the obligatory, uh, mandatory perfection of a person's iman? And what are you meant to do to have the obligatory perfection of a, uh, of your iman? What is it, yeah, Eunice? Fulfill the obligations. Keep away from the prohibitions. Fulfilling the obligations. Keeping away from the prohibitions. That is the perfection the obligatory perfection of a person's Iman. And there is a level higher than that, a perfection of a person's Islam that is higher than that, and that is fulfilling the recommendations and keeping away from the Makruhat. So a person who doesn't love for his brother that which he loves for himself, then his Iman is deficient, but it doesn't mean that his Iman is totally uh, void. Okay, so what we'll do is we'll go on to the next part uh the next part of sheikh abdul muhsin abbas explanation and in this part again he uh, he, he quotes from ibn rajab al hanbali rahimahullah ta'ala in which ibn ibn rajab he says he says wa hadith anas يدل على ان المؤمن يسره ما يسر اخاه المؤمن ويريد لاخيه المؤمن ما يريده لنفسه من الخير this hadith of anas radiyallahu ta'ala anhu it highlights that the Believer is pleased by what whatever causes his brother to become pleased pleases him. This hadith shows that from your Iman, the obligatory perfection of your Iman is to be pleased by whatever pleases your brother. Whatever causes your brother to become pleased, causes you to become pleased whatever causes your brother to become happy causes you to become happy your brother has become happy because he has acquired a new car be happy for him your brother is happy because he has acquired a new house, be happy for him a child be happy for him you see your brother doing something something that is good performing salah be happy for him. Reading the Quran, memorizing Quran, العلم, seeking knowledge, be happy for him. Ibn Rajab, he says, This type of love for your brother, what you love for yourself, that you see your brother enjoying a blessing, you see your brother enjoying a favor that Allah has granted him and being happy that he has been granted this blessing how do you get this how do you attain this how do you reach this how do you have this type of trait within yourself that you become happy when you see your brother being a recipient of blessings from his lord how do you attain this lesson? how do you attain this this trait ibn al-rajab he says this occurs when the chest, meaning when you, yourself, your soul, it is rid of the traits of hatred, deception, jealousy, i.e., hatred, deception, jealousy for your Muslim brother. As it is said, the Hasid, the one that is jealous, he is the enemy of the blessing. He hates to see the blessing of Allah being uh, bestowed upon anyone besides himself. Ibn Rajab, he says, فَإِنَّ الْحَسَدَ يقتضي أَنْ يكره الْحَاسِدُ أَنْ يَفُوْقَهُ أَحَدٌ فِي خَيْرٌ أَوْ يُسَاوِيهِ فِيهِ you and bihaanhum. Ibn Rajab he says Why is it the case that to be able to love be happy for your brother when he is a recipient of a blessing? Why is it the case that it is a necessity that you have Rid yourself from jealousy. Rid yourself from envy. Rid yourself from hatred. Why is it necessary for you to rid yourself from these characteristics in order to be able to be happy when you see your brother being a recipient of a blessing? Why? Because jealousy necessitates that you hate, that you hate to see anybody surpass you in any type of good. Jealousy, and if we were to translate it into action, jealousy, when it becomes manifest physically, what does it mean? It means that you hate for anyone to surpass you in any type of good. Or even to be equivalent, equal to you in that particular good. Why? Because the jealous person, he loves to yamtaz, to outshine to outdo, to outdo and outshine and outmatch, outpass others. He has something that Allah has blessed him with because of the case that he has been put to trial with the trait of jealousy. Because of that trait, he hates to see others be either outpassing him or even equal to him in any type of goodly matter any type of goodly matter in strength that he has physical strength he's jealous that somebody else is physically stronger than him he wants to outshine him outpass him outdo him in his strength he hates to see somebody else being stronger than him Allah has blessed him with intellect but then he sees somebody that has a better stronger finer intellect than his or, or even somebody that has an intellect that is equal to his intellect. He doesn't like that. He hates that. Why? Because what he wants, what he desires, is to outpass, outdo, outstrip others in his, in his intellect. Allah has blessed him with certain religious matters. Maybe he is somebody who is someone that prays a lot. the Tahajjud, and so on and so forth. He prays a lot of supererogatory prayers. However, because he has this this cancerous trait within inside of his soul in that he hates to see anybody outdo him outpass him or even be equal to him and as a result of that that jealousy eats him up he doesn't want to see anybody outpass him in the fact that he prays supererogatory prayers fasts supererogatory fasts studies the deen seeks knowledge memorizes the quran he doesn't want to see anybody surpass him in that regard Shaykh Ibn Rajab he then continues to say, "وَالإِيمَانُ خِلَافَ ذَلِكَ." However, iman, true iman, the perfection of a person's iman, it, it demands something that is the opposite of that. True iman, the perfection of a person's iman, the compulsory perfection that you are meant to have of your iman. It demands from you to be different to that, to be the opposite of that. When it is the case that you see a brother of yours being a recipient of a blessing from Allah, whether it is a worldly blessing or a deeny blessing, you're meant to be happy to see him receive that. You see your brother that he has been granted physical strength, be happy for him. You see that your brother has been uh, granted wealth, be happy for him. Why is it the case that you're going to be jealous over this blessing? You see that your brother has been granted uh, the ability to memorize the Qur'an. You see that your brother has been granted the ability to be a talit, to study the deen, to memorize the deen, memorize texts of the deen. Why is it the case that you're going to be jealous? Oh yeah, yani, over the fact that he has been able to memorize the Qur'an. You see somebody learning, studying. And yeah, with diligence, with earnest, with e- with eagerness, taking notes and studying, be happy for him. At the end of the day, this person, this person might grow up to become an imam of the dean, and therefore it's going to be izzah It's going to be honor for your dean. It's going to be honor for your own religion, for your own faith. Therefore, the one that is put to trial with this, he needs to rid himself from these characteristics. Why? Because those characteristics of hasad those characteristics of hatred, these type of characteristics can't be in the heart, can't be in the soul, can't be inside of the person's chest, while he is obligated to love for his brother that which he loves for himself. He won't be able to do so. He won't be able to be happy when he sees his brother being a recipient of a blessing, when his chest has these contaminations inside of them. Oh yeah. So then, in summary, Sheikh Abdul Muhassin Al-Abadi mentions in summary four points. Number one, this hadith, this hadith, which indicates that it is that a Muslim he should love for his brother what he loves for himself, hate for his brother what he hates for himself. Number two. This hadith is an encouragement to do so. It's an encouragement to love for your brother what you love for yourself. It's an encouragement for you to hate for your brother what you hate for yourself. Well, How is it an encouragement? Because in this hadith, the obligatory perfection, the mandatory perfection of your iman, the compulsory, non-optional, compulsory, must-have perfection of your iman has been negated. Negated unless you love for your brother what you love for yourself. So in this hadith, there's an encouragement, encouragement to love for your brother what you love for yourself, hate for him what you hate for yourself. Third matter, <laughs> <laughs> أن المؤمنين يتفاوتون في الإيمان. Sheikh Abdul Maslul Abad he says that this hadith indicates that the believers they are variant in terms of the levels of iman. Some believers' iman is higher stronger than others, and some have iman that is weaker and less than others. Number four. A Tabir bi Muslim li min So in this hadith, the Messenger uses the expression Akihi none of you truly believes until he loves for his brother. لأخيه, for his brother what he loves for himself. This term that the Messenger alayhi salatu was salam used. This is isti'taf um, attracting you and, and, and uh, attracting you over, winning you over to love for your brother what you love for yourself. How? Because it, the word that's been used, li ahihi, is your brother. He is not a nobody. He is not some. Nobody. He's not some anybody. He is your brother. Love for your brother. Not he didn't say love for a. Per- he said love for your for your brother. So the fact that the Messenger والسلام, used this wording, li none of you truly believes until he loves li for his brother. This is now reaching out to your heart. This is now what reaching out to your heart, trying to reach out to the tenderness of your heart, making your heart tender uh, and affectionate towards this person. Why? Because he's your brother. Realize that he's your brother. He's not a nobody. He is your brother. And as we mentioned last week in the previous sitting, in the previous lesson, that the brother, يعani, the Islamic the, the brotherhood of Iman, that is the long lasting brotherhood. That is the type of relationship and connection that will never ever be cut off. The blood brotherhood that can be cut off, ties of kinship they can be cut off, on the day of standing when people will run away from the different family members because everybody is bothered about his own self. But the only brotherhood that shall remain is the brotherhood that is based upon iman, the brotherhood that is based upon love of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So the brotherhood of the Deen that is the long-lasting brotherhood. Therefore that has the greater degree of value and significance because it's going to be permanent and for that reason the Muslim he's described as being your brother therefore love for your brother what you love for yourself when you realize he's your brother then it that, that statement and that ta'beer, that uh, expression it touches your heart and it makes you become more compassionate towards your brother so that is a summary of the benefits, four benefits. Say ah. that again. Number one. What's number one? Barwa. what's number one? You got that? Number one is love for your brother, what you love for yourself, hate for your brother, what you hate for yourself. Number two, an encouragement to do that. You got it? Anything else? fire <sighs> Hadith number fourteen. Anybody memorize Hadith number fourteen? Anybody besides Ahmed? If you have, just put your hand up so that I know. If you want to read, <coughs> no. Just Ahmed. Ah, uh, Sheikh Ali. so this is the hadith of Abdullah ibn Mas'udin who said that the messenger said La that the blood of a Muslim is not permitted except by one of three the married fornicator the bin nafsi soul by a soul. The abandoner, or the one that abandons his religion, and he leaves the jama'ah. He leaves the jama'ah. So this hadith here, Sheikh Abdul Muhsin explanation to this hadith, it is يعني, quite brief. Quite brief. Essentially the Shaykh, he mentions that Uh, that the blood of the Muslim is uh, inviolable, it cannot be taken except, number one, the non-virgin, non-virgin fornicator, the one that lost his virginity in uh, an Islamic marriage, the one that lost his virginity in an Islamic marriage. So the one that lost his virginity in an Islamic contract, Islamic marriage, he is considered a thayyib. She is considered a thayyib. So the one that loses their virginity in an Islamic marriage, whether it's that marriage or another marriage that they're in, or outside of that marriage, and then they fall into fornication, then their punishment is being stoned to death second one is the murderer second one is the murderer that you have uh, the punishment of retribution for the murderer the third one is the one who abandons his deen Yahani the apostate the apostate and then shaykh abdul muhsin abbad also mentions that ibn rajab al hanbali rahimahullah ta'ala he mentioned others that are associated with these three that are mentioned in this hadith among them is the one who commits the act of sodomy not homosexuality not homosexual sexuality itself sodomy, the act of sodomy likewise um, the one that uh, engages in intercourse with animals likewise the one who abandons the prayer and so on and so forth Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali, he mentioned other يعني, categories. Dharai yulhaq are Associated with this. يعني, the death penalty for other categories alongside these three. So as I said, Shaykh Abdul Muhsin explanation to this is, is essentially that. Quite brief. But because of the nature of this topic, and because of uh, the content that is contained within because of the fact that we live in a non-Muslim land, you're going to have non-Muslim neighbors, you're going to have non-Muslim colleagues, you're going to have perhaps non-Muslim family members. So it is important for us, we're going to elucidate upon this and we're going to elaborate upon this further. Because of the nature of this particular topic, very very important, because you're going to find the non-Muslims, especially the far-right Raising a lot of questions concerning this matter. So, therefore, the Muslim, it is appropriate for him to be equipped with the knowledge by which at least he can understand this topic in a, in a wholesome way and the wisdom behind these matters, and likewise, so that he has some knowledge by which he can explain to the genuine, sincere seeker of truth from the non Muslims. As for the person who isn't genuine, He isn't somebody that is genuinely wanting to acquire knowledge, genuinely wanting to acquire understanding, because you do find them. Find non-Muslims, they genuinely want to know. As for the non-Muslim, or as for anybody, anybody who asks questions concerning these type of topics, or any other topic of the religion for that matter, but he is doing so not for the sake of arriving at the truth, but just arguing for the sake of argument, and those type of people are not Be entertained. So, concerning this, we'll mention firstly four points. Four points. Number one, the first point that needs to be mentioned is the fact that this narration is concerning judicial law, Islamic judicial law that is carried out in a Muslim country. At, by, at the hands of a Muslim leader, a Muslim head of state, a Muslim ruler. This hadith here. It is not concerning acts of worship that I or you can implement, execute, carry out, apply, no. This hadith here is concerning Islamic judicial law that is to be carried out in an Islamic country, by an Islamic ruler. And therefore this hadith is not uh, an allowance for us, for us that live in non-Muslim lands, to apply these laws here, to execute these punishments here. It isn't an allowance for us to do so, those that live in non-Muslim lands, and neither is it an allowance for Muslims, general Muslims, the Muslim citizens that live in Muslim lands to execute these laws. Why? Because by them doing so, that's them taking the law into their own hands. And if a person takes the law into their own hands, if a person was to carry out these punishments by himself, he says, you know what, you are guilty of murder. So I'm going to arrest you, citizens arrest, I'm going to take you into into my backyard, and I'm going to execute you. If a person does that, and if people did that, and if a society was like that, then that would cause chaos and corruption to be spread upon the earth. Therefore that is the right of the Muslim ruler in a Muslim land. Not a Muslim ruler in a non-Muslim, not a a Muslim that is in charge of government or a minister of a certain government in a non-Muslim land, we're talking about a Muslim country with a Muslim ruler that's on his head, that's his responsibility all those that he deputizes to carry out that particular that particular, uh, punishment in a typical normal judicial process, a court of law with a judge passing the ruling. So that's the first disclaimer that needs, to be meant, made, that needs to be made. Just in case someone then takes this and they say, oh these people they are saying that they are they have to establish and they, they are calling and they are inviting to the establishment of Hudud and capital punishment in the UK. No, we're not saying that. We are not in a position to say that. And it is not allowed for us to be calling to that. Why? Because from the requirements is that it needs to be a Muslim land with a Muslim ruler and it is his responsibility, not the responsibility of the common masses. So that's the first point that needs to be mentioned. The second point is the fact that, and this is for us to know as Muslims, Allah's legislation is based upon his wisdom, based upon his mercy, based upon his Justice, every single law that is contained within the Sharia of Islam, that is based upon the wisdom of Allah. Jalla but you, the human being, you, the human being, it isn't the case that you are able to identify the wisdom behind every single thing because you are deficient in knowledge. Mankind has only been granted little of knowledge. Look at the knowledge that you have of human beings themselves, the knowledge of human biology how much do we lack of it and how much more do we learn as time progresses the knowledge of botany of plants the knowledge of geology of the land the knowledge of cosmology of the of the solar system how much of it do we lack the knowledge that we have is so so little so who are we to contend against the Creator that this particular law of yours is not wise when the knowledge that you have is so little and the experience that you have in life is so, so minute and so little. And for the Muslim, he has already, for the Muslim, yani the reality of the matter is, is that the discussion isn't really about uh, 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 the wisdom behind, or the, the convincing factor behind it, isn't the wisdom behind those legislations. Yes, you might be able to identify certain wisdoms behind certain legislations you might know the wisdom behind fasting you might know the wisdom behind um why as-salat al-fajr the recitation of al-fajr is meant to be long and so on and so forth but there are certain acts of certain legislations you're unable to identify the wisdom behind them why is it the case that fajr is two rak'ahs and not five why is maghrib three and not four Why is it the case that we pray five times a day, not four, not six, and so on and so forth? You might not be able to identify the wisdom behind them. But you do admit to the fact that there is a wisdom. It just just so happens to be the case that you can't identify that wisdom. But you submit to the fact that it has come from Allah, and therefore there is a wisdom behind it. Just like, for example, if there is a certain car, a certain car, um, whatever car it may be, a sports car, Ferrari, you might be able to identify the wisdom why Ferrari have placed this particular component here, this particular thing here. And you might not be able to recognize the wisdom why Ferrari placed this thing here, the engine here, not there, the pipe here, and not there. But you will generally recognize that there is a wisdom behind why Ferrari did so. It just so happens to be the case that you, the person that doesn't have any knowledge and skill about engineering can't recognize the wisdom behind it so therefore really and truly the discussion goes back to ascertaining whether this has actually come from Allah that this legislation has actually come from Allah and therefore the discussion goes to the and Nubuwa proofs of prophethood proofs why the Prophet alayhi is a true prophet and we discussed uh, we mentioned some of those things in Uh, one of the khutbahs previously and shall be mentioned in one of the khutbahs that is to come because the categories of Dala'il al-Nubuwa is not just one it's not just the prophecies that the Messenger made those were mentioned previously there are other categories of proofs of the prophethood that show and that indicate more than anything else more than anything else that he Muhammad is a true prophet so when it is the case that a person is convinced that this has actually come from my Creator then anything that this legislation comes with it's of no issue to him he submits easily to it because he recognizes that it's come from the Creator of the heavens and the earth so that is the second part the second part that the legislation of Allah is based upon his wisdom his justice and his mercy and therefore a person he submits to that and he recognizes that number three the Um, the punishments, these capital punishments and even the corporal punishments if a person analyzes them and he reflects over the conditions that have been stipulated for those punishments to be carried out, some of those punishments have extremely, extremely difficult conditions that are to be met in order for that punishment to be applied some of those punishments have extremely difficult um, uh, conditions extremely difficult requirements that are to be met in order for that particular punishment to be carried out, to be executed to be applied. For example fornication, adultery what are the conditions for fornication and adultery likewise Sodomy again, not homosexuality. Homosexuality, Homosexuality—that is, if if the term homosexuality—if that denotes nothing other than same-sex attraction, then that is that is not what the capital punishment is in reference to. In fact, the sin is not in reference to that. Yeah, any same-sex attraction. A person who has been put to trial with being attracted to the opposite gender the thought itself the feeling the idea whatever you call it that there isn't the sin as long as he doesn't act upon it it is acting upon it that is considered the sin otherwise it's like the temptation of alcohol the temptation of zina the temptation of drugs some of them might be you know uh, uh, more abnormal than other temptations but the fact is is that that isn't what is considered the sin, it is acting upon it that is considered the sin and therefore we have had people that have come to the da'wah stores that we have around the country, people that say we are homosexuals we explain to them that this is a sin from the major sins, an abomination, something that Allah hates and is despicable in the deen of Islam however it is in the worst sin and so on and so forth and Tawheed is explained to him and you find people like this that When the da'wah is given to them, they acknowledge that this is a weakness that they have. Due to whatever reason, and there are reasons behind it. For example, a child was abused when he was young, or he didn't have a strong male figure, and there are reasons behind it. He acknowledges the fact that this is a sin, something that his creator doesn't want. However, it is better for him to embrace Islam with this and work with his sin, and thus we have had people that have embraced Islam homosexuals that have embraced Islam, acknowledging the fact that this is a sin and that Allah isn't pleased with this and that they need to and you rid themselves of this sin. Oh so, I mean that is a second department but the point that we're trying to make is that there are conditions that are to be met before capital punishment for fornication and adultery is carried out and what are those conditions that you have for fornication? For adultery, fornication, adultery, sodomy, the actual penetration, the act of penetration, not the feeling, not being in a homosexual relationship, just saying he's my partner, whatever, the actual act of penetration, sodomy, that act, the actual act of fornication, penetration, adultery, penetration, that carries capital punishment in an Islamic country, by an Islamic ruler, as we mentioned before, at point number one what are the conditions that are to be met for that capital punishment to be carried out? who can tell me? four trustworthy witnesses, not just one not just two, not just three not just four witnesses عُدُول, not just any witness, trustworthy witnesses, that do what? See you going inside of a house with a non-mahram woman? No. See you text? No. See you texting? No. See you picking up a, seeing somebody pick up a prostitute from a, and no. For عُدُول that see for. Just and trustworthy witnesses that see and witness the act of penetration occur. Man and man and woman, and likewise, sodomy as well. That they see the act of penetration occur. How likely is that to happen? How likely is it to happen that four just, upright, trustworthy people see the act of penetration occur? Not just that, if one of those people, one of those people, ends up changing his mind, if one of those witnesses, quote-unquote, changes his mind and says, you know what, I take that back, I didn't see it happen, you know what, I take that back, I'm not going to say that they committed the act of illegal sexual intercourse. What's going to happen now? What's going to happen now? Huh? Africa what's all right Af- Africa each and every single one of those four witnesses is going to be flogged flogged in public and his or her testimony is rejected forever imagine that that is the degree, that is the uh, extent of the conditions and the difficulty of conditions that are required to be met in order for this capital punishment on the married adulterer or adulteress to be carried out. How likely is that to happen? You, you know, you've seen somebody commit fornication. In front of you, they've committed fornication. But it was just you that was sitting there. You are not allowed Islamically you saw the act occur however but you're still not allowed based upon what Allah has said and his messenger has said to tell other people you know what the other day I was sitting in the room and whatever happened such and such a thing happened if you do that get ready if you're an Islamic country for your back to be lashed and for your testimony to be rejected forever and ever in this life two of you were sitting down you saw it happen two of you were sitting down you saw the act happen right in front of you what do you have to do? stay quiet hide that sin hide that sin why? because there's not four of you there two of you are there three of you and so on and so forth so it isn't just the case that in an Islamic country you can go up to the court and say I want so-and-so to be uh, to be done to be uh, the punishment whether it's capital punishment for the married person or uh, flogging for the unmarried person I want that punishment to be applied upon them because I saw him picking up a prostitute as if he, and he committed zina he committed zina what's your proof I saw him pick, picking up a prostitute if you say that, as soon as you say that, get ready for your back to be flogged. Get ready for your testimony to be rejected, regardless of who you are, regardless of what your station is, even if you are the biggest scholar of the deen alive on the face of the earth. No precedence is given to any person and any personality over the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So regardless of who you are, you could be the most righteous, most pious, most trustworthy, knowledgeable person upon the face of the earth. As soon as you say, so and so, is a zani fornicator, get ready. Get ready for your back to be lashed. Get ready for your testimony to be rejected. (coughs) so that was the third point that it's extremely difficult if you look at these punishments for example the capital punishment for adultery extremely difficult for those conditions to to be met and not just that the Islamic legislation it um, the ability to commit those sins It makes it very difficult for you to commit those sins. Islamic legislation, it makes facilitation of those crimes very, very difficult. Fornication and adultery, for example. Islamic legislation says, don't touch a woman. Even if it's an innocent touch, like a handshake. Don't sit with a woman alone. woman shouldn't travel by herself alone. Better for women to stay in their house. We have no shyness in saying that. We have no shyness in saying, better for a woman to stay in the house. Why? Because that legislation has come from the maker of the woman. Whereas these other uh, legis- these other, uh, uh, yeah, any lifestyles, they are based upon just philosophies of men. These current uh, uh, lifestyles that we, have, that we see taking a massive trend, they're based upon 17th, 18th century philosophers. They're men we have legislation from the Creator so the fact that the Islamic legislation makes it very 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 difficult for those crimes to be committed and thus if a person still goes out of his way commits that crime how is he gonna commit that crime one of the circumstances where that crime could be committed a fornication is doing it outside in public in front of many many people who's going to do that no one's gonna do that except somebody who wants to and you undermine that particular legislation that law so the point being is that the Islamic legislation makes it very very difficult for uh, yani the facilitation of these crimes of these crimes to be committed and it sets certain conditions which are very very difficult for them to be met uh, in order for those capital punishments to be applied therefore person may ask what is the benefit then what's the purpose behind those punishments if it's virtually impossible for them to be applied what's the benefit behind them well, firstly that if you are convicted of that crime, either by, for example, the four witnesses in the case of the adulterer, or by your own admission, by your own admission, and when the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, when the woman came to the messenger alayhi salatu admitting the crime of adultery to him, what did he do? Initially t- turns away from her. She still comes to him. She, he says to the, then the messenger says, is she crazy? Is there anything wrong with her? I'm trying to make an excuse for her then the woman then the messenger says come back to me after you after يعني, nine months after you've had the baby or oh, as he said Alayhi salatu the exact wording escapes me but the messenger says come back to me يعني, after you've had the baby now the woman has the chance to go to another country I've made a mistake why did I admit to it let me just escape I'll be a fugitive I made the mistake of admitting it but let me go but still she came back after the baby was born and then the messenger had her stone and the messenger said that if her repentance was to be distributed amongst the people of Medina then that would suffice them that was how great her tawbah was but the point being how the messenger treated and dealt with this woman turning away from her making excuses for her why because it's better for the person to conceal that sin but if the person admits to it or if he is convicted by four upright witnesses in that particular Islamic land by the Islamic ruler then obviously the punishment is carried out but then that thing there that punishment punishment being carried out on the adulterer on is very very unlikely to occur so what's the wisdom behind these legislations and these rulings to serve as a deterrent as a deterrent for anybody and anybody that wants to commit these crimes to see that this is the result if you are caught committing this crime or if you're convicted of this crime to show the magnitude of the sin of this particular of this particular crime so that our society it remains clean and pure and stable why because a society where these crimes become prolific is going to be an unstable society a society that doesn't have these type of laws along with the rest of the Islamic legislation is going to be an unstable society so, if you go to a country that is, uh, implements these type of laws, those Muslim countries that implement these type of laws, you're going to find that murder isn't as high and as strife as it is in certain other countries. Which other country do we know of right now? That what, what month is it right now? Mar- March, mid-March. Two and a half months into 2019, and already we've had about 100 or so stabbings. Within the UK, young, young, young people stabbing each other up. Which the country has? This is the UK. Now go to America and so on and so forth. STDs, fatherless children, children, who do, child who doesn't even know who my father is. Huh? promiscuity, sleeping around, rape. All of these things are you going to find them to such an extent? Not to say that they don't exist. Are you going to find them to such an extent where these type of laws are put in place or are are, and are implemented theft are you going to find theft being as high as it is in countries where this type of punishment does mean, the corporal punishment for theft in islam doesn't exist in comparison to those countries where the chopping of the hand does exist alongside all the other laws of islam no you're not going to find that why? Because these things do bring about stability and security within a within a society. طيب. The intent was to go into a detailed discussion concerning uh, the law of apostasy and the capital punishment for the apostasy and other matters that are connected to it. But it's already half past eight, and uh, therefore the time of Isha has come so inshaAllah what we'll have to do is next week we'll have a a discussion um, concerning the law of apostasy and the wisdom concerning the law of apostasy and so on and so forth but again as a disclaimer very important that we make this disclaimer just in case somebody has just signed on and, and is just listening or somebody has just popped into the masjid and is listening to what has been said initially it was said and we'll say it again that these laws within Islam they are not laws such as the law of having to pray five times a day and having to fast in Ramadan and so on and so forth those laws that are uh, obligatory upon each and every single individual these matters here they are revolving around the subject of judicial law law that is Uh, the responsibility of an Islamic government law that is carried out in an Islamic Muslim country at the hands of an Islamic ruler or those that are uh, deputized by him okay like the judges the ministers and so on and so forth and you go through a normal judicial process going through a court having your case studied and so on and so forth the judge passes a ruling and so on and so forth so here We are not saying that these are laws that we are meant to be implementing in Great Britain, no. We are just merely studying the wisdom behind uh, certain Islamic legislations. But in no way, shape or form are we inviting Muslims to implement these laws in the non-Muslim countries. And likewise we are not encouraging Muslim citizens from the general population to start implementing these laws at their own hands. No, it's the responsibility of the Muslim head of state. Not you, the Muslim citizen within the country. So that is very, very important uh, for for a person to be aware of. So as I said, the intent was to cover the issues related to apostasy and the death penalty concerning apostasy. However, we'll have to go over that next week, inshaAllah. والله تعالى أعلم وصل اللهم على نبينا محمد والحمد لله رب العالمين.